some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash from a feminist perspective. My name's Katie Winton. And I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land, and I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on, and pay my respects to their elders. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities, and would like to honour that history. Coming up on the show today, we're chatting to Mariam Azam in about half an hour, which is really exciting because Mariam is a member of Sweatshop, the uh, Western Sydney literacy movement. She's also a high school teacher in Kellyville, and her debut poetry collection, The Hijab Files, is due to be released in May. And she's speaking on a panel for Sydney Writers' Festival next Saturday called Women, Colour and Western Sydney. So really excited to talk to her about so many things. Yeah, and we've been following Sweatshop for a while now. So as you said, they're a literacy movement based in Western Sydney, which is devoted to empowering groups of individuals and culturally-linguistically diverse backgrounds through training and employment in creative and critical writing initiatives. So really looking forward to talking to Mariam about her involvement in that. There's a quote on the homepage of their website uh, by Bell Hooks that reads, We cannot begin to talk about freedom and justice in any culture if we're not talking about mass-based literacy movements because degrees of literacy determine so often uh, how we see what we see. I thought that was a really nice quote. Yeah, I can't go wrong with a bell quote, I feel like. Um, We speak on agenda a lot about the importance of visibility on screen and in contemporary art and music, but we really don't talk a lot about um, representation in um, literature, so it'll be... Interesting to talk to Mariam about that. In other news, today's show is a sad one, um, and I'm just going to dive right into our big <laughs> announcement so that you have a bit of context uh, in case I sound like I might be on the verge of tears the whole time. Izzy's moving to Berlin via an Italian holiday next week, so today is her last show co-presenting Agenda. Yeah, and I'm glad that Mari, our wonderful producer, got all our episodes up on iTunes so I can relive all the best bits of Agenda. I think I'm going to go full Kanye and just like (laughs) when people come over to my apartment, I'm just going to be listening to old shows. But honestly, like we've had, we've been so lucky to interview incredible writers and musicians and curators. Um, And I'm really grateful, obviously, to you guys, but also um, for our guests, because I think it's really Sydney's not an easy place to make art and it's not an easy thing to share so much of yourself, which is what artists are doing. Um, and so I'm grateful for everything that I've learnt um, from the generosity of our guests coming and talking about really personal personal stuff. Um, and I think when we started, I was, and I, you, I think you were the same, but we were so insecure about our own understanding of feminism and contemporary art that we were just kind of like shaking our like pieces of paper, <laughs> be like, oh, and Maggie Nelson said that this is that. And so, and it wasn't so, I think over the last kind of year and a half, I've definitely learned more how to listen to answers. And that's been a really amazing experience to stop just being like, I know this. This word, I know what intersectional means, <laughs> and starting to actually listen to what our incredible um, guests and what we all, each of us have to say. Um, so that's been really, really nice for me. 
Yeah, our very first show agenda was on November 5th in 2016 and we interviewed performance space director Jeff Kahn, which was before I worked there, so it was a little bit less yeah. nepotistic at the time. <laughs> um, and Melbourne-based artist Zoe Scolio about her work for the MCA uh, C3 West project that was called Women of Fairfield. Um, so that was a year and a half ago and we were definitely very green. We mm. quoted Judith Butler a lot. We had a bit of dead air. The song that we played on our first show cut out halfway through <laughs> and we didn't have the incredible producer that we do um, at the moment. So big love to Mari. Yeah, Thanks, that's Mari. made such a huge difference. Oh, massive and difference. And it feels really real. But yeah, we've, we've moved a little bit beyond... The Oxford Dictionary <laughs> defines feminism. I feel like that's maybe where we were. That was our entry point. Um, I went to see Brown Skin Girl by Sydney Artist Collective uh, Blackbirds, who you interviewed last week, Izzy on Agenda. Um, and it, the play or the show finished last night. Uh, but one of the things that they mentioned in the Q&A after the show was that their politics have changed a lot um, in the past two years that they've been developing the show, which is, um, they said has really influenced the outcome. And I kind of feel the same way about us and Agenda. Like, I think our politics have changed and grown so much over the last year and a half. And I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful to be constantly learning with someone that I love and I trust. And working with you and Mari, like, really, truly feels like a safe space, you yeah. know? Um, and your mum always talks about our friendship as uh, critical friends. And I, it's a term that I really love. I think she said it a few years back when we just started putting on panel discussions. Um, and she... Uh, said that it's kind of like when you have a friend that you love and that you can hang out with in a social capacity, but you can also have those really important critical conversations with and they'll kind of challenge you and question you when they think that you're probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's such a good summary of our relationship. Yeah, having being able to have difficult conversations as well. But yeah, I don't feel like you get many Katie Wintons in your <laughs> lifetime, so I am just very grateful for you coming. I feel like we kind of like smashed into each other <laughs> at a certain point in both of our lives. Um, but you've... Yeah, you've taught me so much um, and I'm really worried that I'm just never going to get anything done ever again because you have this incredible capacity to realise ideas and kind of bring them full, you know, to completion. That sounds really bad. I didn't, I don't know, I didn't mean to say to completion. Like, anyway, whatever. I tick things off my to-do list. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now I just think I'm going to just be listening to old agenda episodes and shaking my fist at the sky. But in honour of critical friendships, um, we're going to do Katie's favourite thing yes. in the entire world, which is love song dedication. So if you would like to dedicate a song to your friend, um, let us know, 0409-945-945. Um, on Thoughts That Count, also we're going to hear from people who have some tips on how to maintain a long-distance friendship because I'm personally pretty bad at that. Like, I'm a person mm. who really needs proximity um, to maintain friendships and I want to be better at dedicating time to making sure that we stay in contact once you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're also hearing from people who just have some nice things to say about their friends. Um, so basically I'm just combining my all-time favourite things on the show, yep, which is <laughs> compliment circles and love song dedications. Um, so text us if you have a friend that you'd like to dedicate a song to, 0409 Four five nine four five is the number. We spoke to Nadia Bailey last week about her book, The World's Best BFFs, a celebration of truly perfect friendships, and it got us thinking about friendships in popular culture. So, you know, Oprah and Gail, yes. Falcor and that kid from I don't know why you thought that was from the Never Ending Story. I just feel like that, like Falcor is so consistently like he's always there. Mm. Oh, also it's the Year of the Dog, so I feel like it's all yeah. about like loyalty. And I also know. wanted to reference a friendship that wasn't just between humans. Like I think that um, animal yeah. friendships are really, or like I don't know how I'm trying to say it, but. I wanted to reference a friendship that's not like a, the Human. standard definition of what mm. a friendship looks like, I well, guess. Well, you've got a, <laughs> uh, what's it called? A fictional 
giant dog. So Great, I feel like thanks. you done and done. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's like Thelma and Louise, Romy and Michelle. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Daria, Daria, and her best friend. That's and Jane Lane. Yeah, Lane? yeah. Um, um, but obviously, we want. You can tell us as well. Uh, you got me totally hooked on the HBO series called Insecure, which is pretty much about the two main characters, Issa and Molly, um, like dealing with their flaws and their insecurities and coping with like an endless series of uncomfortable everyday experiences. Um, and it's a comedy series that looks at their friendship in a really unique way that actually feels really authentic to me. And I think it, I like, I think it'd be pretty culturally insensitive of me to say that I identify with a show that's also largely about the social and racial issues that relate to the contemporary experience of women of colour but I do find the portrayal of their friendship like really refreshing um, so they call each other out on each other's bullshit and they go mm. through a period of not talking to each other and they're also just really honest um, and it kind of yeah to watch it made me feel almost a sense of relief that a lot of like very real feelings and ways of being in quite intimate yet platonic female friendships were portrayed on a screen and I don't think I've seen that nuanced um, mm. of a representation of friendship on a screen before so all about that friendship and um, yeah insecure. I, I think it's also the thing that struck me about it was that it's not tidied up at the end of each episode like it's a real friendship so sometimes they don't figure it out by the yeah. end of the episode and it's like annoying and you're like oh I just want this to be fix over this. I just want to fix it and for us to be over this thing but like no it actually takes it takes way longer than you expect and it takes more work than you expect and it's not always like montage friends (laughs) it's like kind of sucks sometimes and I think that that's true I mean people shit on um, girls quite a lot the TV show and there are a lot of problems in it and it did not age very well but I think that maybe that was one of the first times where I saw realistic like people not being their best selves and kind of being disappointing and a bit selfish and, you know, their ideas of themselves not matching up to their actions. And I was like, oh, having said that, it is like a deeply problematic show and it's really hard to watch nowadays, but... That's another one that yeah. I thought was, yeah. We presented a few films for the Queer Screen Mardi Gras Film Fest this year and a particular moment for friendship on screen that, like, this is not necessarily like a huge kind of pop culture reference for an ongoing friendship. It was more this one scene that really stuck with me. Um, and it was in a film called Ba Baha, which translates to In Between in English. Um, it's a 2016 Israeli-French film um, about three Palestinian women kind of sharing a flat in Tel Aviv. And um, it's primarily about their friendship as the common thread between their very, very different lives. Um, but two of the main characters, Layla and Salma, um, party a lot and they have their own struggles with conservative kind of social stigma and they live in an apartment that this other character, Noor, moves into, um, who's a religious Muslim woman studying computer science. Uh, anyway, Noor's definitely the odd one out, and she has this really awful fiancé who comes to visit her while the other two are out. And there's this horrible stuff that happens um, in this particular scene, in that visit. I don't really want to go into detail about it, but the other two women come home, like, really drunk, and Noor's on the floor in her bedroom crying. And, like, without even asking for an explanation, they just get into the shower with her. And mm. they obviously come from, like, very different perspectives, but they just put all of their differences aside in that moment, and they kind of just like wash her hair and hold her in the shower and it's just this really beautiful scene that kind of totally stuck with me um like just helping their friend who's really clearly in need of their friendship at that time I don't know that was one of the one of the ones that stuck out for me in the last kind of few months as well it sounds beautiful it's so nice and it's also a film that has a amazing soundtrack so this is Yasmin Hamdan and um, Aziza which features a few different scenes in um, Barbaha so don't forget to text us with your friendship love song dedications for thoughts that count coming up next on 0409 945 945 you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio (laughs) 
listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. We're talking all things friendship today, uh, so we're going to dive right into thoughts that count. Thoughts that count. Agenda on FBI Radio. For thoughts that count, we're asking you about long distance friendships and friendships in general, because we're trying to figure out how to maintain friendships while you're on different sides of the world. So let us know, 0409-945-945. If you'd like to dedicate a song to a friend, um, tell us why. Friend of Agenda, um, Ali Murphy-Oates said, my tips on managing a long distance friendship, keep your expectations manageable, acknowledge that you'll have separate experiences and grow in different ways. Forgive each other if you don't always make time to talk and accept that communication can happen in lots of ways. Be each other's secret keepers. You are outside of each other's everyday circle and so you can help each other vent and tell each other things that you can't tell those around you. Try to balance each other's commitment to the friendship without the pettiness of keeping a tally of who called, emailed, texted or visited last. Yeah, I really like that idea of being a secret keeper, so hopefully you can be my 
secret keeper <laughs> while I'm in Berlin. Oh, absolutely. But I, yeah, I think it's I I like schedule in a um a call with my friend who lives in Singapore once a week and. We almost never make it, but we're always like, oh, I just put it in our Google Calendar. Aww. And then it comes around and we're like, oh, I'm tired. And it's like, yeah, I'm tired too. It's like, it doesn't work, but it's still nice just to check in and be like, all right, I, I want to go to sleep or something. I'm thinking but, about it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It really made me think about my, one of my long-term friends, Constantine, um, who lives in Brisbane and we've been friends for about 10 years. And every time I see him, like when we're in the same city, he comes to Sydney quite a bit to play shows and we go into like full party mode and I always end up like sitting on a floor in a party somewhere telling him all of my big secrets. Mm -hmm. And I always felt really guilty about it and like he was kind of my scapegoat from reality. But now I feel a lot more validated (laughs) in the legitimacy of telling secrets to someone who doesn't necessarily like have the context of everything that's going on in your life. So Mm -hmm. big shout out to Constantine for being the best secret keeper (laughs) and being there through all my drunk rants. (laughs) Another friend of Agenda, Jessica Bradford, said... I never change as a person and I hope the other person remains an emotionally frozen child adult so we can still laugh at all the same lame things together. (laughs) I fully feel you on that. I feel like that's kind of with me and my cousin. I feel like we just are still little kids when we talk to each other. But on the flip side of that, I think it's also important to be okay with the fact that your friends are going to change and their priorities are going to change and they're going to be into like the lamest stuff that you think is so stupid. And you've got to be, you know, open to it and listen (laughs) to them talk about the thing that you hate that you think stupid um because they probably think some of your things are a little bit dumb um but just having that kind of you know loving someone and letting them grow and change I think is really important but also stay that little frozen child baby (laughs) (laughs) thanks Jess Bradford um in an article on maintaining long distance friendships Teen Vogue's tip was to send each other an annual vision board detailing the brilliance you know will manifest in each other's lives over the course of the year so keep an eye out for a large cork port in your mail (laughs) but I don't understand and like I will do anything that Teen Vogue tells me to do, but are you making the vision board for your friend or are you making your vision board and then you send it to them and they hold you accountable to it or something? I mean, I'm not really a vision board fan in yeah, general because right. I feel like I don't have a vision really. I kind of and just also, fall into I things. don't want to fail, yeah. and I don't want a big poster <laughs> of the things that I didn't do. But whatever, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a go. Um, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. We're talking about friendships, how to maintain them in different cities, who your favourite famous or fictional friends are, and who you'd like to dedicate a friendship love song to, which we probably won't have time to get through all of the dedications. There's been some nice ones rolling in, but we might make a playlist at yeah, some stage of them. So idea. text us with your friendship love song dedication and shout out 0409-945-945. Nadia Hernan- Hernandez, who you might remember from last week and the week before and the week before that, um, <laughs> sent us this friendship song dedication. It's Nadia Hernandez and I would like to dedicate the song Valerie by Amy Winehouse to my friends Esther and Becky who live in Melbourne. Although Alice wasn't there in the night, I feel like I need to include her as well on the list. I had been in Melbourne for a week and I'd been working really hard painting a mural and this was the night that I finished it and we went out and we decided to do karaoke on the street and it was really fun. Dedicating this song to these three people because they live very far away from me and I miss them very much and despite the distance we became friends over Instagram and we've remained friends but we've never lived in the same city so this song goes to those three girls.
I also want to send a message to Izzy, who's doing her last show today. I only became friends with Izzy very recently, so it's very sad that she's moving away. But I want to wish her the very best in Berlin, and I hope that we can stay in touch. I was so happy to co-host a show on Agenda last week with Izzy. We got to interview some really great people and just talk about really awesome things like Cardi B. Best of luck, Izzy. You'll be missed. Bye, it's Ron. I'm sorry, Charlie Murphy. I was having too much fun. Well, sometimes
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and we're joined now by Mariam Azam, whose debut poetry collection, The Hijab Files, will be published next month. And she's also speaking on a panel for Sydney Writers' Festival uh, next Saturday called Women, Colour and Western Sydney. Mariam, thank you so much for coming on Agenda today. Um, We wanted to start maybe by talking about how you came to poetry. I was wondering if it was something that has always been a part of your life or whether you came to it as an adult. Um, thank you for having me. So how I got into poetry, it's kind of a funny story, but I was in Pakistan for year 9 and 10 high school and I was studying via distance education from Victoria. And so my English teacher sent me an email saying, there's this writing competition and I really think you should enter. So um, it was actually the day that the competition was due and I thought, oh, I better smash something out and submit something. (laughs) So I wrote a poem and I sent it in and I ended up um, getting third place in the competition. And then I thought to myself, you know, maybe this is something that I should explore further. So Mm -hmm. that's how I got into poetry. So I started reading it more, writing it more and workshopping it. Do you ever read that poem back again? And and I cringe. Yeah, right. That's what I was going to say. I think there's something really particular about reading poetry that you read in high, that you wrote in high school and being like, oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I'm sure yours is right. That's good. actually um, something that we've been thinking about over the last few days about how when you're developing a work over a period of time, maybe your own personal politics change or your way of like talking about something changes. Um, and I know you've been writing The Hijab Files over four years, and I'm wondering whether anything's kind of shifted for you in your way of working that's kind of influenced the work. Yeah, so definitely um, my approach to poetry is what's um, changed the most. So I guess I started out with this kind of idea that poetry is really kind of highbrow literature and that it should be complicated and deal with complex images and difficult to understand and that kind of thing. And and over the four years, I guess what I realised is that um, a piece of work is going to work best if it's accessible to everyone, if they can understand, you know, what it is that you're trying to say. So I shifted to a much more simple and accessible narrative style in my poetry. So I guess um, every single one of my poems has a narrative base to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk uh, quite a bit about representation and the kind of importance of seeing yourself reflected in the media and art and music, um, but we don't often talk about representation in literature. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about the importance of that and the work that you're doing with Sweatshop, the Western's new literacy movement. Yeah, so um, as an avid reader, ever since I was young, um, it was kind of disappointing not to be able to fully connect with any of the characters that I was coming across in the stuff that I would read. And when I go through my notebooks from my childhood and things like that, I see myself writing stories where the characters are called Tom or Mary and I'm writing about, you know, families who live in a different way that I live and that kind of thing. So um, I feel quite sad that even as a child, I wasn't writing about, you know, my own culture and myself. And, and that just comes from not being able to read about people like you in literature. So a lot's changing now. Um, I came across Randa Abdel Fattah's Does My Head Look Big in This? and 10 Things I Hate About Me. And that was kind of the first time that I saw um, a character more like myself, being a, a young Muslim Australian, um, reflected in literature. So um I take it very seriously that um, a person 
writes what they know. So if somebody is going to have a character who's a hijab-wearing Muslim Australian, then they themselves should be or should have been a hijab-wearing Muslim Australian. So um, I actually did an honours thesis on representation of the hijab in contemporary poetry. And what I noticed was that there are many poets out there writing about the veil or the hijab who might be a man or who might not be a hijab-wearing person themselves. So I felt like the kinds of ideas they were asserting about wearing a hijab wasn't really what I could relate to and kind of made me a bit angry as mm. well because it was like taking uh, my voice away or projecting their own idea when it might feel like it's not true to me. So um, the hijab files came out of, you know, the one to fill in the gap in poetry and have a hijab-wearing Muslim Australian writing about that experience. And I'm very careful with the representation as well. For example, in my collection, I have a poem where I talk about a person who wears the face veil, the niqab. And because I'm not somebody who's ever worn the face veil myself, I was very careful to frame the poem in such a way that the persona is myself as a hijab-wearing person reflecting on what I think about someone wearing a face veil. So kind of making it very clear that I'm not imposing on a face veil-wearing character what I think that experience means. I think there's a lot of confusion in literature and in art about, you know, speaking on behalf of other people, but the way that you've described it is very straightforward and makes so much sense. It almost seems like it's not that complicated in the way that you kind of draw it out. Maybe a, maybe a month ago or a few weeks ago, Twitter was kind of joking, everyone on Twitter was joking about like how they would be written from the, if a male writer wrote about them from their perspective. And like some of the funniest ones were from women who were wearing um, a veil about how it's just used as this code for, you know, being oppressed and wanting to be saved. It was really funny. So it's, um, I feel like your collection of poetry will be very welcome to a lot of people. Yeah, that was the um, the own voices hashtag that came out of a male writer writing from the perspective of a female and it was so yeah, that's like, really so ridiculous and really, really funny if you were a person who, you know, has that lived experience to listen to someone kind of describe it who obviously has no idea what they're talking about. So I'm really excited to read your poetry. Um, do you have a favourite poem in the collection? Um, my favourite poem... It's hard to say. It's like choosing between children. But <laughs> I really like the poem A Brief Guide to Hijab Fashion, which kind of, um, it's kind of an ironic take on all the different types of um, hijab styles out there and, and, you know, the different ways that you can wear a hijab. Like one of my favourite things to do is look up new hijabs tutorials on YouTube and how to do new there, stuff. It's like such an amazing part of the internet. Like there are so many incredible options, I guess, but there's so much creativity as well. It's really amazing. Yeah, no, it's a huge fashion industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to go back to uh, Sweatshop um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the work that you're doing with Sweatshop um, because they, it looks like there's a lot of amazing things coming out of there. Can you talk to us a bit about what you do? For that? Yeah, so um, Sweatshop is about empowering diverse voices and particularly from Western Sydney, which um, has been missing from the landscape of Australian literature. So um, 
I'm part of a fortnightly workshop group where we meet and we discuss the writing that we're working on. Um, we'll discuss, you know, perhaps the politics of what we're working on. Is it, you know, acceptable to write from this particular point of view? And we'll also um, go into the nitty gritty of the mechanics of the writing as well and what makes good literature. Other things that Sweatshop do is that they do workshops with young people as well from high schools in Western Sydney, um, just showing them that their stories matter, that writing about people like themselves is, is good literature. You know, you don't have to write about characters called Tom and Mary, <laughs> but you can write about, you know, Muhammad and Fatima and, and that experience. And you are also a primary school teacher? Yes. And I imagine that would be really fun if you're doing poetry with younger students and encouraging them to kind of, exactly like you said, tell stories that you know reflect their experiences do you get to do that yeah I I love working with the kids on writing and things like that and but there's also challenges as well so as a primary teacher I'm involved in you know um, curriculum planning and that kind of thing and when we're putting the novel study list together for the year um, it can be quite challenging to find novels with diverse characters so Mm. Um, when you have a diverse range of students in the class, you want books with a diverse range of characters as well. So there's a Muslim kid or there's an Asian kid or whatever the background is so that kids can find someone they can relate to. And it's really challenging. So, Yeah, I'd never thought about that until you said that. But thinking back on the kind of books that we read in primary school, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, it was very wide. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm hoping that the landscape of children's literature will start to change in the future. Mm. It's not an area that I've had much opportunity to work in, but definitely in the future I'd like to have a look at maybe writing something for young children as well to start filling in that gap. And Mariam, you're uh, speaking on a panel for Sydney Writers' Festival next Saturday called Women, Colour and Western Sydney. Are you going to be talking about your poetry and your work um, alongside a few other speakers? Yeah, that's exactly how the panel is going to go. We're going to be talking about, I guess, what are the politics and context that our writing comes from, talking about how we approach some of the you know, controversial issues about who's allowed to write who in our writing as well. I mean, it's quite a spectrum. To some people, it might be acceptable to write from both the male and female point of view. To some people that wouldn't be acceptable. If you're a woman, you should be writing from a female point of view. You can't claim to understand the male experience, for example. So um, these kinds of politics around representation we'll be talking about and how that informs our work. Uh, We'll definitely pop a link up to that panel and to your collection of poetry because it comes out in May? Yeah, so um, it'll be available in bookstores from the 1st of May. Congratulations. Yeah. That's really exciting. Huge. Um, thank you so much for coming in to chat to us on Agenda this morning. We've also been taking some uh, friendship love song dedications because Izzy's last show is this morning and we got a text in saying, my old boss and I separated on different job sites now all by myself. Can I please send Juliet by Felix Lush out to him, please? Thank you, ladies. So this one goes out to someone's boss. <laughs> um, it's called Juliet by Felix Lush. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio.
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. And in case you've just tuned in, it's Isabel Hawthorburn's very last time co-presenting Agenda before she makes the move to Berlin. Uh, and in light of this announcement, we've been discussing friendships today on Agenda and taking some love song dedications to friends. So please text us if you have a love song dedication to a special friend in your life. 0409-945-945 is our number. So I actually thought that I'd uh, ask a few people to do one big Izzy compliment circle for you this week. Um, so here are some thoughts from our producer, Mari Stewart, about why she loves you. <laughs> hey, Izzy. Just wanted to say I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity to be a part of Agenda with you. You and Katie have been such a dream team and I've learned so much from both of you. I'm going to miss spending all those hungover Saturdays with you, but you'll always be a part of the Agenda team, and I'm really looking forward to hearing all the Kardashian updates from the other side of the world. From Mari. <laughs> that one was from our producer, Mari. I also spoke to Sophie Penkethen young who has done a little bit of work with Agenda in a design capacity, and she had some really nice things to say. <laughs> Izzy has the ability to look good at all angles, which I think is really, really special, and a lot of people don't have that. Like, even when you are looking at her from below, she still looks very good <laughs> from all of the different angles. Uh, she also does that thing where if you don't want to do a big round of hellos because you're in a big group, she makes direct eye contact with you and kind of smiles in a way that says hello. With that, But you know that you don't have to go over and say hello, but the acknowledgement is really nice and the acknowledgement that you have chosen not to say hello to everybody in the big group but she is still excited to see you is really nice. Um, oh, and also she laughs at your jokes when when they're self-deprecating in a way that isn't like I am laughing at you but I am laughing with you and then she is like I would have never thought that which is always very good uh, because you always feel very self-conscious when you make self-deprecating jokes. <laughs> really nice one, one from uh, Sophie Penkethman young there in dedication of <laughs> Izzy's last show on Agenda this morning. Um, we've only got two more to get through and then maybe we can take it offline and do our own compliment circle. Um, this one is from Alice Schultz. Hello, sweet life. Our number one I couldn't let you leave fan. without me, your biggest fan, publicly singing your praises. I want to say that Women in the Arts, Agenda and everything else you put your talents and energy into is such a true reflection of you, your beliefs, interests and hopes. You and Katie have created a supportive, purposeful, encouraging, exciting and educational pocket of the world that yields real-life change in our society. As women, it's our responsibility to try and help other women. And because of you, women in their everyday can know they're helping and contributing to this idea in a meaningful way. Your love for your fellow person is boundless, and I thank you for that as a member of your community, but also as a friend who's shared your life for many years. I'm so excited for you to begin a new adventure. And we happily anticipate squeezing your sponge brain for our own benefit when you return. I love you so much. That was uh, <laughs> that was a really nice. I, love <laughs> I <laughs> recorded my own one because I didn't think that I would be able to say it <laughs> on air. Um, so this one. This is really good radio. <laughs> just like people crying. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for all of your work and love and joy that you've brought to every Saturday morning for the last like year and a half. I'm just going to 
uh, play the one that I recorded <laughs> because I knew this would be really hard. Izzy, I don't really know where to start with a friendship dedication. Uh, as we talked about earlier in the show today, we've been critical friends for a few years now and I don't think I've ever had such a strong emotional connection with a friend that I also share so many fundamental values and political beliefs with. Uh, we've both done like a lot of learning since we started working together and we never really discussed what we set out to do. It kind of just happened. And even though we have totally different ways of working, I'm kind of a manic overcommitter and you really strongly believe in the restorative power of naps. So even though we have those differences, we've always had enough respect for each other's ways of doing things that it's kind of just been easy and it's worked really well. Um, and work stuff aside, you're really quick-witted and hilarious and resilient and I love your dance moves and your ability to call bullshit in a way that doesn't ever feel confrontational. Um, and I'd like to dedicate a love song to you. Uh, it's called Thinking of You by Sister Sledge and um, it probably exists in kind of an era of music that is, I guess, about, um, you know, heteronormative love um but i'm a huge fan of love song dedications to platonic friends so i want to dedicate this one to you because i just love you so much and i'm really gonna miss you <laughs> that's all of our <laughs> dedications katie just put it in as katie's surprise <laughs> or secret or something so i didn't prepare a soundbite for how i feel but like um yeah gender <laughs> sorry damn it i should have prepared a recording but um yeah agenda has been like the most um amazing experience and i'm so grateful for caro for yeah um letting us do it and telling us that we making us believe that we could also do it and um yeah it's been working with mari and you has just been i like had no confidence in any of my um ideas and maybe i shouldn't have as much confidence as i do <laughs> but i have a lot of opinions now that i never would have been able to articulate and um yeah um fbi and agenda has like been so amazing and my friendship with you in particular has been the most incredible i didn't even know adults could have these kind of friendships i thought you just made your friends when you're a teenager and then everyone else was just cool people you hang out with <laughs> i didn't realize that you could have such meaningful adult friendships and um and i just come to the station every saturday morning and i just i'm able to be so honest and i don't think there are many opportunities to do that in the world um yeah, so this is the best show ever. I love it so much, and I'm so grateful. And we play really good music, and I get to talk about Kardashians, which is awesome. I'm so. sorry, I really sprung this. Um, I'm gonna play my love song dedication. Cool. <laughs> I love you. Thank you.
things you do to me. 